0: Hello and welcome to this series of podcasts in which I interview and chat with legendary rock musician Hugh Grundy of seminal 60s band The Zombies. Hugh and the surviving members of the band were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2019. Let me introduce myself. My name is Simon Holland. I'm a musician myself. I've played in numerous bands over many years, mainly in the UK, as a drummer, a guitar player and bass player. I'm also one half of the songwriting duo McMurray Holland with my good friend Jason McMurray. I've played in quite a few bands in Menorca Spain too where I now live and have done for the last eight years. I learned to play drums as a child I'm a self-taught guitar player I sing and play bass the latter being what I play in current band alongside Hugh Grundy himself on drums and our good friend Mick Connors on guitars we are in a blues rock trio called The Geckos. We all reside on a fabulous Spanish island of Menorca, which is one of the Balearic Islands, a beautiful, serene, and wonderful place to live. I've known Hugh for just over seven years myself, and as well as playing in a band with him, I look at him as a close and trusted friend and an extension of my family. I've always been a massive fan of the Zombies, possibly the most original British band to come out of the UK invasion that went over to America to reintroduce the blues and rock music that was right on their doorstep. Being a drummer myself, I'd always admired Hugh as a drummer and percussionist. and always looked at him as a drum pioneer with a very true original style. If you listen to the drum pattern for She's Not There or Time of the Season, it's clear he was coming from a completely different place. And all this long before I had the pleasure of getting to know him personally. So please sit back and enjoy as I ask him a whole lot of questions. Some from a nerdy drummer point of view, many from a zombies fan angle and a few anecdotes and road stories, plus some more recent discussions as a friend and fellow musician. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome along to this uh, podcast, episode one. I'd like to introduce Mr Hugh Grundy of the Zombies.
1: Hello there. Good afternoon, Simon. It's a great pleasure to be uh, talking to you today. And it's a pleasure for us to have you. And it's uh, it's going to be fun. That's what it's all about. Yeah. And
0: where should we start? We want to go right from the beginning.
1: I would yes. have thought that's probably a pretty good place to start, right from the beginning. Yeah. When I was uh, a, a young lad. Yes. Growing up in Hatfield in Hertfordshire. My father worked for um, the uh, aircraft company. Right. And that was... Uh, having moved from Winchester to Hatfield, yes, yes, I was. Um, it, it's it's a no great secret that I was, uh, uh, I am adopted by my mum and dad, and they got me from Winchester. I don't know the true story, so I'm not, I'm not, you know, won't even go into that. Nope. but, um, but there you grew up. your mum and dad. There my mum and dad. End of story. And uh, they gave me everything I, a young man could possibly possibly want, including my father, who was, as I said, an aircraft engineer, had access to. Um, quite a lot of uh, engineering stuff and uh, I think I'd have been about four or five and he made me a, a, a toy drum. Was that for Christmas? It was indeed for Christmas and I'm not sure that they uh, probably might have regretted there. I actions. bet they did.
0: I wonder where he got like the dimensions and stuff to make something like that.
1: Yeah either that or he was just very creative in that respect. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty clever, really. Incredible. I wish I'd still have it. I wonder what it was made of. Would it have been made of aluminium? I think it might have been even made of titanium, which <laughs> is what they, they made aircraft out of. So it was probably, yeah. So it, was it a snare? Had a snare on it? It didn't have a... No, it didn't have a snare. He wasn't... He didn't quite get that far, I don't think. So did it have a proper drum head on it? It had two drum heads on it, yeah. Absolutely. So he must have... And he uh, probably knocked up... Because they had plenty of wood in the aircraft company at that time, because yeah. that's what mosquitoes were made of. And uh, so he would have made me up, turned up a pair of drumsticks on a lathe somewhere. Isn't it, uh, he, he uh, played the violin? He was an amateur violinist? He was amateur violinist. And perhaps around that same sort of time, yeah. he would um, have a little play in the, in, the, uh, in the lounge. And he was always trying to get me to play that violin. But of course, as the years went past... And I started off at senior school and one thing, and that was at about the time when uh, the American music and started coming through, and we were right. beginning to listen to that, yep. and it was in, I- inspiring us I- enormously. And I thought, violin doesn't seem to be, no. Um, no, it's not making it really. It's not rock and roll, is it? It ain't rock and roll. So. And what, was it, what would have been the first sort of, would it have been early Elvis? Early Elvis, um, stuff like Bill Haley and the Comets. Yeah. Uh, anything that was really early rock and roll from the state, uh, uh, from America, yeah. I know we talked
0: about this once before, you know, in a private situation or whatever, about um, Lonnie Donegan.
1: Was, he, was the skiffle thing a big thing in Hatfield? Um, I don't think it was a particularly big thing. I think jazz was. We used to go right. down to the um, Red Lion Hotel, which had put jazz on every one one day in the week, right. maybe a Monday. Trad jazz, would yeah, that be? It yeah, it would be trad jazz. People like Kenny Ball and, um, right. you know, that, people like that. But it was great fun because it, it just meant that I'm watching live music and okay. in particular, I'm watching what the drummer's doing. You uh, were watching him and absolutely. him only. And him her. only. It could have been a her, although probably
0: unlikely, but... Um, no, I don't ever remember a her. <laughs> no. Jazz. And so so where were you
1: listening to this music from? How were you getting it? And I think the Light Programme or the BBC did start playing some uh, tentative steps in towards um, the modern day music as it was. Okay, um, but more often than not, and just before the pirate ships came in, and they were really instrumental in bringing a lot of music to public attention. But there was a radio station comes from Radio Luxembourg, right? And uh, you could only hear that on a, like a whisker radio. This is long, long before technology really So was started. that a pirate station? It, it, I suppose it was because it was really technically offshore, was it not? Yeah, because they were on... The, I mean, Radio
0: 1 was originally a, on a boat, wasn't it? No, I don't was it? No, think no, so. No, not, not necessarily actually on a boat, but like the, there's a famous film, isn't there, called The Boat That Rocked. Yeah,
1: but so that was all about Radio, um, radio London already. That's it. Yeah. That's the
0: one. Yeah.
1: There was another one as well. I can't remember the name of it now. So you'd be tuning in on this radio, what, at bedtime? Bedtime, under the bedclothes. With with your mum and dad not knowing about My, it? They didn't know. They, they didn't probably know. heard it, but ignored it, maybe? Yeah, maybe wondered what I was doing, but thought nothing of it. And you would then, what, get to school the next day and talk about... Yeah, because we'd all be doing it from school, and we'd all be talking about the songs we'd heard. And what was the attraction, do you think, to that? Was it that it was a bit rebellious and... and, and... I think it was. I think it was, and it was a it was a new beginning after the privations of of uh, the war that had not yeah. long ended and people were really beginning to start finding a uh, good life again right yeah
0: and where where would you when was the first time you probably set eyes on someone like elvis do you remember seeing it on the tv or you know i, I remember there's a bit of footage where they filmed him from the waist up didn't they because he was gyrating and and they thought well they, you know the kids can't see this no
1: they, um, certainly certainly in america they uh, they tried to stop him right because of that very thing the um the, the the strict people over there thought he was a very bad influence on the youngsters
0: yeah okay so going back to so you, you your dad's made a drum mm-hmm. you're learning on have a book or did you no i just i was only four or five at the time right okay so i just used to go around the house beating the hell out of it so how
1: old would you have been so sort of mid-50s you were what 10 11 years old Mid 50s. Yeah, exactly 10. Yeah. Born 45, 1945. So I was 10 then. So when did you then start thinking about taking the drums a bit more seriously? It didn't come until we went, till I went to a senior school. Right. Okay. So I went to senior school uh, at 11, probably started at about 12. Yeah. Um, at the time there was uh, on a Friday, we all had to go to school in uh, an army uniform. Right. And okay. that was the cadets. So on a Friday, we would go in our army uniform and we would either parade up and down the playground or sometimes we would get uh, two or three blanks with a rifle and we'd go up in the woods right. and play, you know, play guns. Because this
0: is, you, you obviously, um, National Service had finished now, hadn't it? Yes. So you, but you still, went, you, so you went to cadets or everybody had a cadet uniform?
1: Pretty yes, much.
0: Yep, yeah. Absolutely. Everybody with Blakey's on your boots and yep, all that yep. sort of stuff. Yeah.
1: Well, we had to. I used to take the stuff home and blank home my, my gaiters right. and, and, <laughs> and my belt and polish right. the brass. Okay. Unlike my dad, who bless his heart, was because he was an aircraft engineer, he was not eligible eligible to be called up. Okay. So he had to join the uh, well, what we now know as Dad's Army. Right. So it was the um, it was the. Uh, Whatever that was called, proper I, know aircraft, thing, I Forget, no, yeah, but, yeah. Know. And um, I remember that to this day. The Home guard, the home guard. Correct. Sorry, yeah. that's the one. Thanks. Uh, he he had some uniform, uh, but he he was supposed to go on parade now and again with them. But he, he never polished his boots, <laughs> and he never polished his brass. So he just didn't see the point. No, <laughs> well, yeah, I can sort of understand that I, a little I bit. Can too. So, so you on a Friday, you would be. Parading at the school. Yes, we'd be parading, and then sometimes, as I said, we'd have to go up in the into the woods, which I didn't like at all because I didn't like sports particularly at school. I didn't okay. mind cricket; that was in the sun, in the sunshine, in the summer. Yeah, and uh, that's been me ever since. But <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> rugby in the cold and the rain. And the you know no. didn't get a mud and I didn't I'm get that the at same. All. I have
0: to say, a bit of football. But apart from that, no, I was I wasn't very sporty. Now
1: every every opportunity I could get out of it, I would. Okay, the number of notes I forwarded from my mum to try and get me <laughs> off. Were amazing. The number of excuses I used to think up. Yeah, but as I said, when the when the the corps the, the cadets were uh, out and about yep. on the Friday, I did notice that um, because there was a band. There okay. was a, a a drum and bugle band, and uh, on uh, Armistice Sunday uh, every year, yeah. and others there would be a parade around St Albans town, and um, I, I would just be in the ordinary corps marching behind. Yeah. But I watched the uh, the band here, and I thought that looks like something I ought to get to get to find out about. Yes. So I went down the band hut and said, "Can I join the band?" Yeah. And they said, "Yeah, we've got a space for a for a bugler." A Bugler, yeah, <laughs> so I started on the bugle, which I'm sure annoyed the neighbors immensely. I bet it did, yes. At uh, and I realized then on my first parade that I was marching at the back, right? And the drums were at the front, and they were getting the looks from the ladies of the town. I see, and I because that's what it's all about when you're that age. Okay. And I thought, I need to get up and play those drums, so I asked to change to the drums, yeah, and they gave me the first. Um, Try on a drum And say can you play this And it took to it Very very easily And so that um, obviously there wasn't much much,
0: uh, Bugle in in rock and roll This is true Yes, This is very true yeah well yeah and and also i suppose the drums so this would have still only been a single drum though wouldn't it this was a big
1: a big snare drum yeah Yeah. exactly not not the bass drum no i didn't do the bass drum There's a friend of mine he he did the bass drum and he was a a much bigger stronger chap than me which is i suppose a good good enough reason yeah he also had uh an Isetta bubble car and i can see him now (laughs) he used to take the drum home on the roof of this bubble car it's probably the same size, which is much it? about the same size <laughs> as, the, as the car, and take it home to clean it.
0: So I know, I know from the history books. So Rod Argent saw
1: you, yes. I mean, it must have been one day, unbeknown to me, he would have been um, by the side watching the parade. Okay, and uh, he at that time um, had got it in his mind that he quite fancied joining or making up a rock and, a rock band. Okay. Um, he'd been listening to the music that we were listening to, and finding that—I mean, he was a classically trained musician, and he played the piano from very early age. Okay. Um, so, he, and he was just tremendous, tremendous uh, classical player. But of course, rock and roll was coming in. Yeah. And he, at that time, his cousin Jim Rodford, who will touch on quite a few times later, I'm sure I don't we will, doubt. Yes. Um, said to him one day, "You ought to be listening to this, like the new American music." Okay, and he started playing him some of it, and Rod was pretty much ambivalent about it. didn't uh, didn't move him a great deal, until Jim one time played him "Hound Dog" by Elvis Presley. Right, and as Rod will tell you, it changed his life forever. It was the, the game it was changer. It was the game yeah. changer. From that point on, he said, "I only want to play that sort of music, right. so I need to form a band." So he started looking around at the guys in in the school. Yeah, and uh, he must have spotted me. In the, the the school band, and he'd been looking like at the drums. Yeah, and he said, "That guy there seems to have a bit more natural rhythm than the rest of them." So one day he came up to me in school. And he said, "Do you want to join a band?" And I went, "Absolutely." Wow. It seemed like the best thing in the world to do. Exactly. So I didn't even think twice about it. Just went, "Yes."
0: So was it? Were you
1: almost the first member? You and Rod? Pre- uh, pretty much. I think at the same time though he'd. Uh, come across paul paul atkinson the yep. dear late paul atkinson and he uh, found him playing a guitar somewhere in the corner of some room somewhere yeah and he said uh, oh a man who can play guitar he, and he asked him very same question would you like to be in a rock and roll band and paul said yeah i think i would he said, this- well, i must check with my mum and dad
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so now what age are we now we've
1: what 15 16 or not quite as old as that. Not quite as old as that. I would have yes, I think about the 15 mark. That they'll probably do. Okay.
0: Yeah, because I it can be quite vague the age periods in some of the things I've read about the band. Mm. So mm. you so you were f- forming the band at 15.
1: And wh- how old were you when you finally got a record deal? Oh, that came a long time afterwards. And there's quite a, a process b- b- between as I just said, uh, to the point of
0: I realise, and I know around. I've tangented
1: it off a bit. No, but that's I just not. Wondered, too there,
0: so, how many years were were you banned before you? You know, you, you. Well, I
1: would have said a good four or five years. Wow, okay. learn, Learning our craft, learning it, and, uh, and then starting to play some of the real small local uh, dance halls that there was available. The, okay, the clubs that yeah. we went to play, and nobody took a blind bit of notice of us. So, um, so at this stage, is you Rod? Paul Atkinson. Yeah, and a bass player. And he was uh, Paul Arnold. Yeah. Who uh, went to the other school, basically, the uh, the grammar school. And uh, he'd heard that Rod was looking for... Um, and he, he, I think Rod knew that he'd been making a bass guitar. Wow. So he asked him, would you like to join the band? He said, have you made that guitar yet? And he said, yes, I have. So he joined and he played with us for quite some time. Okay. And his brother became our road manager a bit later on. But that's another story. And... Um, so there we were playing away quite, for quite some time. And uh, at that point, we hadn't got a lead singer and we hadn't come across Chris, Chris White just as, as okay. at that point. But one day, Paul, said, Paul Arnold said um, that he wished to continue his career in the medical profession. OK. So he said, uh, I don't want to carry on in the band. So we said, OK. He said, but I do know a chap at my school who also has a bass guitar. And he, I'll ask him if you like, which he did. Yeah, and that was then Chris White. Right, so there's almost the core of the band there. Pretty much, and it was at that point we decided that we did need a singer. Yeah. So well, who we, was singing
0: we, up until then? Well, Rod was doing okay. most of the singing. and uh, yeah, um,
1: yeah, exactly. Right. So um, it was at that point we decided um, once again another chap from the grammar school. We knew that he also had a guitar, and he, the guys asked him, uh, "Would you like to come along and join a band?" And he came along and we met outside a pub called the Blacksmith's Arms in St Albans one day. Yeah. And the plan was to go down to a youth club, which was just down the road, um, where Jim Rodford used to go and play with a group called the Blue Tones. Okay. And we knew he had had some uh, gear down there. So we all met outside the pub and we all all waited for Colin to appear. And he's a keen, or was a keen uh, rugby player. And at that point had an accident on the pitch And he'd uh, probably broken his nose So he turned up with a great big plaster Across his nose and two black eyes And we all thought as he was walking up We thought well hope it's not him Because he looks a bit fearsome He does Um But we know completely different now <laughs>
0: Yeah So and and you've then gone down to to
1: trial him out, and you were already yes. We gone down to the youth club, yeah. And Jim Rod, Jim uh, uh, Jimmy Rodford at the time said, "Well, have a play on our instruments and see how you get on." Okay. And uh, so we did. He, Jim, showed me the very first like rock and roll um, pattern, and it was the first time I'd ever sat behind a drum kit. Yeah. And he showed me this pattern, and um, it came absolutely easily. Yeah, like, d- a, duck easily, like a duck to water, like a duck of water, exactly that. Yeah. Um, and, and would that have been... At that time, though, Rod was still wanting to be lead singer and okay. Colin was quite happy to be a guitarist. So he was playing guitar
0: as well? Yes.
1: OK. And um, but, but one day, Rod heard him singing in the corner to himself and he went over to him and he said, I think it sounds like you've got a good voice. He said, I think you should be the lead singer. And Colin said to him, well, I've just heard you playing the piano over there to yourself, and it sounds like you're a pretty good uh, pianist, and I think, therefore, you should be the pianist. And that's how it started. And that is the Zombies. That's how it started.
0: And I mean, I I suppose when you look at, um, there wasn't many other bands. I know there are, I'm sure we can think of a few, but where the lead instrument really was the keys. I suppose there was like um, uh, Brian Auger. And the animals, mm-hmm. but would they have been? I think they, they came a bit later. They came they later and quite they? a bit
1: later. Yes. So and was you, there any band that was doing that? I sort think of Manfred thing? Mann might have been um, around at the time. Okay. And I think it was Rod looking at him. Yeah. Where um, he was playing a, a hona pianette on top of a, a Vox Continental organ. Right. That I think inspired Rod to do the same. Okay. And Rod's done the same ever since. He's yeah. had two keyboards and one is set on organ and one is set on piano. Okay.
0: Now, now I was just going to say so at this point with the uh with the instrumentation, what, what were the instruments like? Were they good quality? No, I don't think so. No. I think
1: well, where were your drums from? I mean, well, well at does... that time, I just sat behind the drums that belonged to the Blue Tones. Okay, but I'm I'm saying after this. After this. So, so before you you know. Yeah, when we started wanting to go and play out. Yeah. Or, and do our own rehearsals, we thought we might have something. Although Jim, at the time, did turn around and say, "said." Give it up, you've got no chance. <laughs> did he really say that? <laughs> he really did say that. I yeah. oh did. Um, but of course, then I went home and spoke to mum and I, mum and dad and said, "Look, I want to buy. I want. I need some drums. I want some drums." Yeah. So I went to a drum shop in St Albans and bought a kit. And there's a picture of me sat at this kit in the front room.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's like a very a rather small bass drum and two little, tiny little dish-like snare drums, and a couple of cymbals. And I played with them for quite some time. And I mean, what make? Can you remember oh, a make? Can I remember a make? No, I can't. I th- no, I can't even Didn't remember we, that name. I'm
0: sure you said once before to me at a different time that it was um, Olympic. Could have been Olympic. Which was part of Premier, yes, I it think, was. wasn't it? Yes, or it you was. could buy a Premier Olympic drum kit. I know that. Yeah. Because I actually had one for a while. Right. It was like the the bottom stage of a, of a Premier run of instruments, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. Because they you, made all sorts
1: of instruments. Of course. But um, then that... that after a while, it became apparent to me that it just wasn't cutting the mustard. Right. And so I asked them to buy me um, another drum kit, which okay. was more a bass drum, more a tom-tom and a, and a floor tom-tom. Yeah. And another couple of cymbals, I think it was. So who who were you looking at for inspiration now at this stage? Were the Beatles around? Beginning to be. Beginning. Yes, beginning to be. We were listening to them and quite a lot of English bands were around locally playing. Yeah. Um, I'd be out. I don't know, every two or three nights watching, watching I mean, the bands. Aside from the Beatles,
0: because I know a lot of people say Beatles is like the start, mm. but there was who, who was around just prior to them that would have been just as
1: important in England? Would there have been many, or if um, any? A few, yes. I mean, I can think of The Searchers. For the Searchers, yeah, I was going to say. I mean, you, you look at some of the bands of, the, of that era who had hits... I mean, the Kinks were quite early as well, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, the Kinks were around, um, the Hollies were around. The Hollies, yeah. And I, did, I mean, I'll say it now that the Hollies and the Hollies drummer, Bobby Elliott, was a huge influence on me. I thought he was really, really good. Fantastic. He's a great drummer. then, of course, the, the Who was around, and yeah. even dear old Keith Moon yeah. uh, was an influence too. I bet he was, yeah. And I mean, although it was, it was
0: uh, can be quite erratic as a player, but he had a style of his own and there's some stories for later on that we well, can we can bring up. I'm can't sure we, we
1: can this yes. so so at this stage you're the Mustangs is this what you were called yeah, that was that was a name that um, floated past. Yeah. And uh we didn't really go a great bundle on that seeing as there was hundreds of other bands called the Mustangs yeah all around the world. And then Colin saw a poster in a in a tube station for a film I think it might have been a John Wayne film and it right. was called The Sundowners. And he suggested that, and we became the Sundowners for a little while. That's a good name, I think. Which isn't too bad when you no. think of it, but we didn't seem to think it um, was, I don't know, different enough, enough or rock and roll enough. Yeah. And it was at that time, I think it was before Paul left, that uh, he suggested uh, one evening in a pub, where we all sat there having a drink. Yeah. And it might have been a bit later in the evening too, so you can imagine just a few pints. So it was a
0: drunken sort of yeah, chat.
1: Yeah, a drunken yeah. chat, you know. And uh, he suggested the Zombies. And we all went, why not? Why yeah. not? Did you even know what a zombie was? No, at that time I didn't. I no. sort of know now, but... Uh... Yeah, quite an unusual word, but very uh, very distinct. and. Well, it's a bit like if you think The Beatles, the minute yeah. you hear the word Beatles, you don't even think of little crawly things on the of ground. Of course you don't, no. You think of The Beatles as the, the band. Exactly. And, and I... they
0: were named after a film as well, and there was The Silver Beatles, which was a film with... Um... Marlon Brando in it. Well, there you go. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And they dropped the silver and then they, they spelt Beatles B-E-A-T because yeah, they were a beat band a beat. and it was beat music. Exactly. So so did you,
1: um, at this stage, were you covering the Beatles? I don't think we did. No, we didn't do many Beatles songs. I don't think we did any, actually. But you were listening Beatles.
0: to uh, R&B and... Yes, we were um, listening
1: to the American R&B and they were, we were covering some of their classic r&b songs that were coming out of america A motown must have started showing itself now would it or um, still too early we're still little too bit early. early i think a little bit early
0: for that yeah okay okay so you've i know you mentioned to me you
1: started playing at quite a big rugby club we did and that was the rugby club that was associated to the at the school that colin chris and Paul Arnold had been to and okay school the uh, Verulam the old Verulamiums. so they all went to that school they went to that so school. you and Rod went to the other school me Paul Atkinson and uh, Rod okay. went to the uh, the public school of called St. Albans School okay um, but that 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 place loved putting on uh, live music the the old Verulamiums. yeah and we found ourselves playing there and beginning to play there more and more and more to the point where we really began to get a, a really good following yeah and. Uh, it was apparent that when it really was getting packed, more and more packed, and they decided to put a marquee on the side of the. Wow. When we played there. So it, there's hundreds of people there. Well, uh, how many would it hold? I don't on that sort of night with the marquee, I would have thought a good thousand.
0: And would that just have been solely you as the zombies, or would there have been other no, boats? It would playing? have been
1: just us. Wow. We had enough act for uh, all the songs that. Uh, would you be playing it again and again? Would they make you all, st- all play again? Or would yes, a- I think we had to play quite a few songs again. <laughs> again, yeah.
0: Okay, so so probably at this stage, then, um, how did you
1: find out about this? This there was a competition that was locally. There was that came along after a certain period of time. Uh, it probably got advertised in the local newspaper. Right, bands wanted for uh, a, a group competition. Yeah. And we all thought, well, why don't we go in for it? We'll have, you know, what have we got to lose? Exactly. So we applied and we got in and uh, it came to the night of the the heats. Okay. And we all turned up, it was at Watford Town Hall. It was called the Hearts Beat. Wasn't it was indeed it? called the Hearts Beat Competition. Okay. H E A R T S. Okay. Although we were in Hertfordshire, which is H E A R T S. Which is
0: why I originally thought it was Hearts, yeah. because it was in Hertfordshire,
1: but yeah. it wasn't. So a little play on the words yeah. like, like the Beatles. Yeah. Um, so there we turned up for the heats and we set up on stage with what must have been about eight, maybe ten other bands. Okay. So the stage was big enough and tiered enough for uh, to, to all set up together. And were they other were the other bands good? A lot of them were good. Was and there we, the, yeah. was there
0: one in particular? I forgot. There was
1: that. there was somebody in the Cadillacs. I think it might have been somebody in. The... So did you think mm. you were in with a shout or or not? I don't think we thought we were in. Much of a chance, because we were watching and playing, and listening did you, to the other bands. Did you have a local following that turned up to yes, we right, yes, we did. Yes, we did. We had about two coach loads of people that turned up, which okay. did give us an edge. I bet. As far as the audience was concerned. Okay. And so you played? We played. Can you remember and, what you played? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> did we play Summertime then? I'm not sure we did. I think we hadn't got to that yet, and we saved that for the final, okay. because we won that heat. Okay. And... Uh, that meant we were to play the final. Right. So, much the same, various bands of that heat, of okay. the various heats. And once again, so on a finals night, there was once again about 10 or 12 bands all set up on the so stage. How many of
0: these were there? What, four or five nights that you had to keep going, or you
1: just did one qualification well, it was and then. One it- qualification and then on to the final. Right. So, every winner of every qualification That's it every, ended up. Uh, yeah. Okay. Every winner of every fi- every heat.
0: Okay, and I know you've said to me before that you ended up on the final, you set up in the
1: same place. Yeah, as luck would have it, when they picked where the various groups were going to play, they gave us the same slot on the stage where we'd been uh, for the heat. Right, so you were were quite comfortable. We all thought we were quite comfortable there, and it did happen to be as close to the judges. Right. So we actually thought by then, we thought we had a bit of a chance. Okay, and were you aware at this stage what the prize was? No. Oh, maybe we were. Okay, but I don't think we were even thinking not, about that. Maybe not that thinking stage. about it quite so much as far as that prize was concerned. Okay, although there was a talk of a, you know, a record company okay. being interested. Okay, so to our uh, luck and amazement and everything, we we won that you final won. as well. And Incredible! There it was. So there was a, a chance of a demo session with Decca Records. Yeah. And also a £250 first prize. Which was a fair amount of money back then, wasn't it? I think a fair amount of money, and I don't know what that would be worth now, but certainly another nought or two. And and so the demo was recorded? We recorded a demo in uh, a studio in Rittensworth run by a chap named Jack Jackson. Okay. And he was a DJ on... A, a radio. Star. I'm not sure he was BBC, but he was definitely a DJ. Okay. But he had this studio in Jack Jack uh, in uh, Riptonsworth. Okay, and we made our first uh, demo recordings there. And can you remember what you did? What you recorded? No, not no. Then, no,
0: no. <laughs> may have been Summertime. Then maybe it by may now may have
1: been because we did play Summertime. Yeah, on that final. And it was such a, a different version to every other.
0: Uh, yeah, your own arrangement. Our of own it. arrangement. Yeah. We
1: played it in three-four time for a start. Yeah, which was uh, pretty unusual. Um, but we did record that, and that was that tape was then uh, taken to Decca. Okay. And they must have liked what they heard, and they offered offered us a recording contract. Which must have been insane, oh, wasn't it? When well, you... I mean, it, for young lads at that time, thinking, whoa, we're <laughs> We're going in the music business. Here. And did
0: you? I mean, I know because uh, you were all taken up, taken for a ride back in the day, weren't you? All the oh. managers. Did you have a lot of managerial, managerial sort of um, people approaching you and saying, you know, think, do you I, need?
1: I, I think at the time, uh, as the record company deal came along, yeah. Um, so we were ta- taking a lot of advice from Chris's. Uh, I think it was his uncle, a chap named Ken Jones, okay, who was in the music business anyway. And he offered to look after us in that respect as far as the recordings were concerned. And indeed, he came down and started producing them as well. OK, I'm reading all the small print on the... And just checking out the contracts and seeing so, that So when had- you
0: signed, were you signing old enough to sign the recording contract? I think we had to have uh, authorization from our parents. Guarantor. Yeah, or from guarantor. Parents.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So they
0: must have been over the moon now as well, must, oh, they must have
1: been? you know, I mean, it was like a young man's wildest dream, wasn't it? It really was. And so, what did you do with the 250 quid? As luck would have it, they spent most of it on my new drum kit, my new Ludwig drum kit. Wow. Which was uh, inspired by Ringo and his drum kit, yeah. and I thought, if, it's, if that Ludwig drum kit is good enough for him, it's good enough for me. And I Was went, that a super classic? It was a Ludwig super classic yeah. in Oyster Marine Pearl, or I think that was what it was called. Yeah. And I got... Went down to Drum City. I think it was called Drum City in Shaftesbury Avenue. Yeah. And I said, I just want that Ludwig kit in that Oyster Pearl. Mm. And I, that's what I got. I, I got the imagine. six. I got the Formula 602. Formula 602. The Ludwig 602 uh, snare. Yeah. It had a 13-inch uh, rack tom and a 16-inch floor tom, 22-inch bass.
0: Yeah. That's right. Well, now we're on to drums. Okay. For all the drum nerds listening. I hope, <laughs> I hope you are. Yeah. Um. Would that have been what depth was the bass drum? I don't think it's anything much more than 14. So it would have been 22, so 22 by, four, by 14. Yeah. Okay,
1: and a 13 by what, 10? 13 by 10 rat top and a 16 by 16 floor tom. So a pretty big floor tom? Yes, it was. Yeah, because yeah.
0: nowadays nearly always 14, aren't M- they? Nearly always, yeah.
1: And a 14 inch snare. A 14 by six and a half. Six yeah. and a half, so deep yes, snare. Yeah, yeah as quite well. a deep snare, yeah. Okay, and that was all. All Ludwig, all Ludwig, complete, what, complete with the stands and
0: everything. I was going to say, did it come with the? What would it have been? The um, Ludwig. I'm trying to think what the hardware was called. I don't. The know what Speed it's called, King but the bass pedal pedal drum pedal.
1: Is definitely called the Speed King. Yeah, and worth lots of money now if you've got one. John
0: Bonham's famous pedal he used. Yes,
1: is. Absolutely. I actually
0: just read a thing recently where John Bonham's um, when they remastered the the Led Zeppelin one and two, um, it's audible the squeaky bass
1: drum pedal. And yeah. it can't be removed, no, can it? It can't. But uh, My, mine squeaked, and I was forever oiling it. Yeah, WD forty. I don't think WD. No, probably didn't exist. No, I, it that exist. No, I no. think it was three in one oil. Right, Ooh, advert for three. Yeah, right. there you go.
0: But so okay, so you've you've recorded the demo, you've been offered a contract with Decca.
1: Yep. How long for? Was it like a three album, two album, I think one? It was uh, uh, indefinite. Well, certainly for a single. Yeah. Um, and at that time, I remember Ken Jones talking to the. Uh, the lads and saying well it's all very well doing cover versions that that's really really good but you should be thinking about writing your own songs yeah (coughs) And, and colin at the time yeah thought well he thought that that was some other really other area of the music business okay but obviously you had Lennon and McCartney doing it and yeah, showing that they were writing their own possible. music. And Rod, I remember Rod saying at the time, well, if Lennon and McCartney can write songs like that, I'm pretty sure I can do something along the yeah. same lines. <laughs> and, and he was right. And he was right, as yeah. it so happened, and he turned up with She's Not There, which was really revolutionary with it the really chord was. sequences. Yeah. Don't ask me about what the chords were, but um, but the, the style of the song, yeah. Um, and it was influenced by the Beatles, and he wanted a a Ringo-esque style intro to it. Yeah. Which we worked out on rehearsal. Where and would you have been rehearsing at this stage? Uh, Can you uh, remember? I do remember we used to rehearse at the uh, Hatfield uh, Youth Fellowship, I think it was. Okay. They had a hall up the top near, uh, near the church, where I used to, a long time ago, before that, sang as a choir boy. Um, by then Chris had joined us. Yeah. And... Uh, when we rehearsed, I mean, uh, when they were rehearsing various chords and one thing and another, I wasn't needed for a little while. Okay. And I used to pop next door because I was at that time seeing the organist's daughter, <laughs> my first true love. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> but but of course, as I come back and I've I've seen this chap on bass guitar, and I didn't know who he was. Right. And I said to Colin one day, I said, Yeah, Colin," I said. Who is this chap who keeps turning up to her? And that was Chris. <laughs> and it turned out to be Chris. Wow. And he's my best friend ever since. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you've um you've recorded the demo. He's now written she's not there. hmm and was this because you Decker were saying right we need we need you to record a single or you you've got to come well, up with something
1: yeah we've got to come up with something let's let's go in with uh, some, uh, you know, some originals some originals okay and uh, so we turned up at Decca recording studios in East West Hampstead there and we went down into the recording studios first time into the recording studios yeah. and it was very exciting four track. Yep, that's all there was available. Okay, and the engineer at the time, we found out that uh, as, as we got down there, was completely out of his head. On um, he was drunk, as been to a wedding all day or something.
0: Okay, on your first ever re- on my first ever studio. recording,
1: yes, which was pretty off-putting. Did you think, well, this is, is this what it's like? Is this is what the music business is like. Do I really want <laughs> it, to be in the music business? Quite quite accurate, really. To yeah. be honest, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, a,
1: I know we all thought that. Yeah. So there was only one way out of it, and that was uh, four of us got an arm, an arm and a leg each, and we dragged him upstairs, put him in a taxi, waved okay. him goodbye, and never saw him again. So,
0: who, so what did you well, do?
1: Well, the chap who was uh, who was the, what they what they I think they call it now the tape jockey. Yeah, was a gentleman called J- Gus Dudgeon. Oh, whose name will uh, be instantly recognised by well, yeah. a lot of people. He went on. I mean, for for a start, he engineered that s- session for yeah. us. And gave us a heck of a lot of advice. So that was his
0: debut? It was? uh, Yeah. On the the Faders sort of On the Faders,
1: yep, absolutely. And of course, he went on to not only engineer, but produce, as we well know.
0: Elton John and many, many more. Many, many more. Okay, so so that you think was She's Not There. That was the recording
1: of that song? It was. Okay, so then it was released? It was released, and we thought uh, we just, in our naivety, our young naivety, we just thought it was going to be a hit. Yeah. And to our amazement it was. Yeah. And there was nothing better than hearing your own song on the radio if you were perhaps driving along in your car. Of course. And it came on the radio. And what
0: what where would where did that get to in in the UK chart? Can I don't remember? think
1: it, it didn't make number 1. Uh it depends on what chart you looked at and at those days there was uh, various charts. I think a lot of the music papers had their own charts of course so it varied around anything between 10 and sort of five i, don't I wonder what
0: i'd love to see i'm i think i have seen it actually what the top 10 was that that period yeah
1: you can it is it is available yeah i think if you so be google that you'll find it
0: beetle stones there's some, probably some motown in there yeah, isn't there absolutely some, some american stuff yep. uh, uh, dusty springfield and that sort of thing yeah absolutely okay so you you've, you've You've released this song; it's become a hit. Well, mm-hmm. what was it
1: like for, from a record company's point of view? Were they like, Right? Okay, we need another one. They said we need another one, so we were continually from that point on trying to recreate another. She's not there. Okay. Um, but that didn't to us didn't seem the right thing to do. No. Let's do something different. Let's let's try something else. Okay. So we recorded several other songs, all under the auspices of Ken Jones, and um, some of them did well. Some of them, most of them, gradually began to fall, fall by the wayside. Okay, but that's of course taken us in a long time into the. And so, what were you uh, touring at the same time as this? We'd be up and down the country, playing every other every other night. Up, up to Manchester oh, and up Newcastle Manchester and beyond. And, and by then, it was beginning to be uh, mainly universities. Yeah. Uh, which would put on the big shows, and there would be more than one group playing. There would be Us and The Who and... Uh,
0: sleeping in the back of the van.
1: Yeah, yeah sleeping in the back of a, an old ice cream van. Yeah. A, well, we did start making a, a bit of money by there, little bit of money, and so we traded that... Well, we got rid of the ice cream van and bought yeah. ourselves a nice new transit van, which was so much more comfortable. Okay, and was this... Did you have... A, so you had a roadie at this stage? We did. We did. We had And a, and a driver... No, just just a roadie and he drove. Okay. And uh, that was Terry Arnold, who was Paul Arnold's brother. Okay. So he came along as our roadie. Um, but we all used to, well, I say we all used to take turns of driving. I mean, I just couldn't be sat there no. hours dro- droning back home. And
0: was it emblazoned with the no, zombies written no, along the side? It no, was nothing no, like that. No,
1: absolutely plain. Yeah. I mean, it would have just attracted the. Uh, you know thieves and yeah uh, nick, so nicky so nicky gear. you you're still setting up your own drums at this stage at that time i was i couldn't seem to get the roadie to uh work out how no. to do it and i thought it's just easy if i do it well they're never going to get it right but are of they? course those were the days <laughs> as i said that the kit was bass two toms and a snare drum a couple of cymbals pretty rapidly I mean, set up if it had turned into a kit like neil pert or somebody <laughs> like that <laughs> no. well then it'd be a, been a different story and so you obviously had hard cases at this stage yes yeah, they were all in hard cases, and it's not long ago I got rid of the final one, which finally... I think I'm, and I'm not... I'm standing in front of the symbol case. You're actually standing in front of a symbol case. The original case. one. It is original. Wow. It's a Leblanc original symbol case with the letter Z on it. Yeah. And H, so that was me. So
0: you're... you're Driving up and down the country, were you the, the infamous uh, Watford Gap or whatever? Did yeah, you used to stop yeah, there? Yeah, we
1: used to stop at the Watford Gap, as did everybody else, yeah. at like two and three or four o'clock in the morning after gigs. Eat, eat a load of grease. Eat a load of sausage, egg and chips, <laughs> and end up really, really, really a little bit too spotty. But I that, mean, was it
0: literally a room full of
1: f- famous people? Yes, it was. Yeah, It was. And I can't remember who, who at any one particular time... Would be in there, but, but they'd all be pretty in much there. most of the, most of the bands. And that so, would... so you never got to see them play, but you only ever got to see them eat at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. In the morning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so your um, at what point
0: did you know that it had been released in America? Then she's not there.
1: Well, I think um it, it came along in the course of things. Yeah, and Decca said that we're we're going to release that single in America because by then there were bands beginning to uh, make waves in America. OK. Um, obviously, the first of which was the Beatles. Yeah. Um, and they started having hits over there. And so, obviously, Decker thought, well, we better try some of our English acts. We'll release She's Not There. And to our utter, utter amazement, it went to number one. Wow. Um, so they asked us to uh, go over there. And that was a, my first, I think, well, my first trip on an aircraft yeah. was to, uh, to New York. And that was our first show in, uh, in America, in New York, and we spent, I think it was about a week or so in New York, right over Christmas, and we played the Brooklyn Fox, and it was the, what, what was called the Bury the K show
0: very famous name
1: very yeah. famous name very famous artist on that on that bill
0: highly supportive of the beatles wasn't he very very involved yes. in the beatles yeah, it, at the beginning very much
1: so very uh, protagonist of uh, of english music coming into america okay so wonderful wonderful really and so you'd you've arrived in new york to to what play every day we played at the brooklyn fox we had to do i think it might have been two shows one afternoon matinee yeah. and then an evening show so uh, we were there just all day, basically, with a number
0: one hit though behind yep. you. So, so you were well known. Yep, we were was well there a known. bit of um, a zombie mania, um, being chased down the road and screaming? No, girls I, well, I
1: don't think we went outside a lot because uh, we were there playing. Yeah. and then it was back to the hotel, and then it was the same thing the next day. Um, but uh, it, it was it was a wonderful experience. Oh, incredible! Um, I can
0: imagine, but, but yeah.
1: frightening because there we were. Uh, appearing for our fir- for the first time with some of the American artists that had been in our influence, yeah, and we thought uh, we just don't know what they're going to think of us None. bringing their music in its slightly sterilised form back to America, yeah. But we did really, really well, and later on, they were saying, "Man, you were really, absolutely fantastic!" And this we is loved
0: you. this is what the um, Pat LaBelle,
1: wasn't it? Yeah, um, Pat LaBelle and the Bluebells was on that. The uh, Shangri La's. Shangri La's. Any other British bands? Not with us at that particular moment. Okay, no. so it's just the zombies. Oh, It might have been um, not Hermits. Hermits. It might have been, uh, and the name escapes me for a minute. No, go but on. so
0: so literally. Every other act was an American, yep. well-established. Sort oh yeah, of.
1: I mean these are sh- huge shows, and it was filled pasty every night. Yeah, matinee and evening.
0: Incredible. And, uh,
1: yeah, it really was. I mean, the Shangri-Las were on there, and they had a huge hit. We'll all you'll all remember, I guess, called uh, "Leader of the Pack." Right. Oh yeah, I remember. Which required. Uh, as you know the song, it's got a motorcycle in it. It has, is not it? Yeah. And uh, the only way that before samples, the days of samples we know now, uh, those days, the only way to recreate that motorcycle sound on stage when they were singing it live was to have an actual motorcycle on stage and get it started and rev it up in the appropriate part of the song. Okay. And so several people tried to get this motorcycle to start, but nobody seemed to be able to do it. So one day I said, uh, well, let me have a go. I'll have a go. And I got it started immediately. So they <laughs> said, well, you've got the job. So it, when the when the Shangri-Las were on stage in the middle of that song, yeah. and I've learnt it well, uh, I had to rev that motorcycle.
0: So what did you have? Have
1: it started? Yeah, tick ticking over. over. Behind, behind well, uh, the stage some Well, someone would ring. say you
0: need to start the motorbike. Yeah, you need to start that. They're on. They're it's
1: insane, <laughs> isn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> OK, so, so at this stage, have you then... You did the package, the, the coach trips around America.
1: Yeah, I think that was our next time to America. Oh, we, was that? Okay. Yeah, we did, we uh, set out on a tour called the uh, Dick Clark Caravan of Stars. Okay. And there was two, uh, as it were, arms going around. Uh, we headlined one and Herman's Hermits headlined the other. So we had all sorts of famous people on our on road. Our, uh, a tour, yeah, all black artists, okay, and uh, absolutely lovely people, lovely people. And this would have been this would be, be Dion morrick you said? Um... No, Dionne, no, she she was on. Oh, the, that was a that Came into UK, yeah. so yeah. this would have
0: been the Isley Brothers, then, would yeah. It? And, the Isley um... Brothers,
1: I definitely remember. There was one or two uh, uh white guys on it as well, whose okay. names escape me, but uh, you know, it's all documented, well documented. Yeah, sleeping on this coach overnight, one night, and then in a hotel the next night. Okay, so we would be, uh, yeah. And what sort of venues? So, like
0: auditoriums. Oh,
1: these were big auditoriums. Yeah, big auditoriums by now, absolutely packed. And, oh, every every night. And uh, the two tours finally met up together in Houston. Okay. And we played the Houston, uh, what's it called, the Houston Astrodome. And so we were on it, and Herman's Hermits were on it, and they they did in fact play last. But the screaming and the noise was I can a, a, absolutely unbelievable, and all we were playing was un drums and amplifiers uh, like an AC30 and a, and a, and <laughs> and a, a PA. small PA. <coughs> I mean, you look at what what they take out these days; it's just that that would explain why you're
0: a loud drummer. Then, maybe because maybe. you had to you had, had to play to, over.
1: You had to play as loud as you, blooming well, could to try and. Get anybody to hear you. And I mean how long would you have played for on a on a show like that? A short, twenty minutes? I think it was probably about twenty minutes, so that everybody else played, probably got twenty minutes, quarter an hour, twenty minutes each, and then we'd get twenty minutes, half an hour maybe, then Herman's Hermit's.
0: Okay. So and at this stage, um you've recorded a debut album or and it would have been already out, or you've
1: Yeah. I think Decker wanted an album. Pretty much as soon as possible after the uh, the start of she's not there and the hits. And okay, and it. that's
0: begin here. I'm assuming that is album that... is
1: now called Begin Here. Indeed, indeed.
0: Okay, and I know we we've um... so that had that had she's not there on it. It did. Okay, uh, I'm going to get it out. Here we go. So track one, Road Runner, it's a Bo Diddley song. So these are covers, still R and B, yep. and this is stuff you were still be playing live. This is stuff we were playing live on stage. Summertime and some originals. Obviously, I can't make up my mind, is a Chris White track. Right. The Way I Feel Inside. Well, I know that one, yeah. yeah. Um, you've really got a hold on me. So Motown stuff. So Motown, yep, indeed. And then She's Not There, Rod Argent. And on side two, I noticed there is a. Um, a muddy McKinley-Morganfield, Muddy yeah, Waters, muddy. got my mojo working. Got my mojo working, and so, Rod,
1: Rod opted to take the lead vocal on that. Well, he sang that? Yes, he sang that out on the record, and uh, he never did quite like his vocal. So when he asked to go and do it again, they said, no, nope, that's it, that's what it is. Did you not get many chances to re no, song? No, no, there was a time limit on all stuff, uh, recording, so you just had to go in and try and be as well rehearsed as you could. And was this the brown coat? period where like the almost like the unions and stepping in and I, what was that i think we weren't aware of them that particular but that'll come later in uh in the story of odyssey and oracle okay and i think well then that would be a perfect point to stop our first episode
0: of the hugh grundy podcast thank you very much i don't know how long we've been running for but we'll we'll be back with an episode two very soon thanks a lot hugh for your time and your storytelling and I look forward to the next episode. Thanks, Simon. Cheers. It's been a pleasure. Look Th- forward to the next one. Thanks a lot. Cheers.